This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Marshasaurus, and we have some dinosaur news. And again, thank you to all our Patreon supporters. This is the first episode we're doing with ads, and if you would prefer an ad-free version, we're offering that at the $10 tier and above, and if you're in that tier, you've already gotten emails and you might already be listening to this. Hooray! So thank you to all our patrons. If you want to check out our Patreon site, you can go to patreon.com slash inodino. So jumping right into the news, our first news story was published in the journal Science, and it's titled Slow Waves, Sharp Waves, Ripples, and REM in Sleeping Dragons. It's a pretty cool title. It was written by Mark Sheen Idelson and others. Another title for the article was The Dragon Sleeps Tonight, which (laughs) I enjoy greatly. (laughs) That just reminds me of a song. Yeah, but it's The Lion Sleeps Tonight, but... The dragon sleeps tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, a appa- wing a wit, a wing a wit. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. Anytime. So apparently scientists have studied sleep pretty extensively in birds and mammals, but not so much in reptiles until recently. So this group studied the Australian water dragon, which is why it has dragon in the title. And to me, it basically looks like a small iguana with shorter spines, and they only grow to about two feet long compared to six feet of iguanas. So dragon is quite a overreach for the name. Don't imagine a real dragon. It's just a small lizard. Anyway, (laughs) they used an infrared camera trained on the sleeping lizard's eyelids, and then they saw that they twitched during sleep, which indicates that they were probably in REM sleep. And REM sleep is the part of the sleep cycle when you dream, and some sleep scientists think that it aids in memory and nervous system development and juveniles and also creativity, so it's considered very important. There are other phases of sleep that are also considered important. It's very complicated. But if you go without REM sleep for a long time, your body will like force you to have a whole bunch of REM sleep when you finally do go to sleep, so it seems like it's something the body wants. The authors believe that this shows the common ancestor of birds, modern reptiles, and mammals slept just like we do, because now we already knew that birds do REM sleep. We know that mammals do, like us and dogs. Sometimes you see them kind of scampering in their sleep and stuff. And now that we know that reptiles do, you have to go pretty far back in the animal family tree 
before you get to a common ancestor. And these scientists are saying that's probably a very early amniote, which would have been over 300 million years ago. And so all of us kind of sleep in similar ways. And of course, that includes dinosaurs. So that means dinosaurs were dreaming probably. What do you think they dreamed about? Probably eating and not being eaten. <laughs> Chasing things? Yeah. Asteroid hitting? It's not so different than what we dream about. Do you think they had nightmares about an asteroid? I hope not. Interestingly, despite the similarities, it appears that the part of the brain where the reptiles' brains were active during sleep is in a part of the brain that we don't even have. So even though the brains developed totally differently with different lobes and whatever else goes on in brains, different structures, we still have the same sleep pattern. So dinosaurs probably dreamed. Pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks to our patron Brendan for sharing this article with us. West of Denver, pretty close to the end of the urban sprawl of the city of Denver, is a place called Dinosaur Ridge and its museum. And there's currently a group that's trying to rezone the area for commercial development. But there is a petition on change.org requesting that the rezoning be canceled to preserve the area for future generations. The area called Dinosaur Ridge has a place called Dinosaur Ridge Trail, which has a site of over 300 tracks, which are actually colored in by charcoal periodically by volunteers. It looks pretty cool. And there's also a quarry referred to as the Morrison Quarry Number 5, which has fossils likely from Stegosaurus and Apatosaurus, and they're still partially buried in the rock, much like the ones in Dinosaur National Monument. I doubt that the rezoning would develop on top of these awesome spots because that just would be outrageous. But of course, there's a chance that they would build on top of undiscovered fossils since they're planning to build very close by and it might destroy some of the trail, which has other interesting dinosaur tidbits on it and things that might not be as big of a draw as the footprints in the museum. Hopefully they don't destroy it with commercial space. Not nearly as cool. We have a link to the petition on our blog if you're interested in signing it. So I've finally gotten around to starting the Theropod Dinosaurs and the Origin of Birds course that's offered on Coursera through the University of Alberta. And it's been really great so far. I'm about 20% done. And I think you can still sign up for free if you're interested in it. One of the early details in the course is about how modern birds have a large keel on their breastbone for large muscles to attach to so that when they flap their wings, they have all that reinforcement and a place for the muscle to actually attach to for the big flapping muscles. Since non-avian dinosaurs lack this trait, we've typically thought that the dinosaurs with wings were probably more like gliders than flappers because they didn't have a place to attach these huge strong muscles to flap wings. But there's a new study with some very interesting information. It's one of the coolest articles I've read probably in the last year. It's titled Flapping Before Flight, High-Resolution Three-Dimensional Skeletal Kinematics of Wings and Legs During Avian Development. It was published in PLOS One and written by Ashley M. Hears and others. So unlike the baby Rapetosaurus that we talked about last week that was basically a miniature adult, baby birds have a lot of underdeveloped features that take a while to develop before they look like a full-grown adult. I mean, anyone who's seen a little chick knows that it's completely different proportions and abilities than the adults. And the researchers studied the skeletal movement in these developing birds to see how a bird's development of flight 
throughout its early juvenile stages corresponds to its physical development. They do point out that modern scientists have considered wings kind of as an accidental evolution more than a selective pressure. And they think that maybe dinosaurs developed feathers for something like display or something and then adapted them for flight. And they call this process aptation instead of adaptation, just aptation. It turns out that extant baby birds actually have a lot in common with feathered extinct theropods. They have relatively small, weak wings. They have less rigid bodies. And if your body isn't rigid enough, then they flex a lot when you're trying to fly and it doesn't really work out right. So modern birds have a lot of fused bones. And their feathers are less interlocked than adult extant birds. So in case you're wondering, the group studied the Chukar partridge. And for that bird, full development takes about 100 days. But even though their body may not have fully developed for flight, they can flap their wings with some flight capacity as young as eight days old to help them escape predators. The authors show that they use legs along with their tiny wings for what they call wing-assisted incline running, or WAIR, and this helps them to run up very steep inclines. So they can run up something with a slope of 65 degrees when they're only eight days old and 75 degrees when they're only 12 days old, which is pretty impressive. And it would definitely help them escape predators. You can imagine them being in a tree and something comes in after them. If you can scamper up a branch real quick, that obviously helps. Maybe it gives you those couple seconds for mama bird to come protect you. They took these really cool x-rays of the birds running up steep slopes and using their wings to help propel them up. They even made 3D models of the birds' bones and composited the CGI model on top of the x-ray to give a better view of how their bones were bending during locomotion, and it's really impressive. It's all included in the article. There's one quote that I really like. They say, quote, When wings and legs are viewed in isolation, wings for aerial locomotion, legs for terrestrial, it is difficult to imagine how animals lacking flight aptations could produce useful aerodynamic forces other than to slow aerial descents, like gliding. However, transitional flapping behaviors that involve cooperative use of legs and wings, e.g. WAIR, or jumping into brief flapping flights, require less muscle power and less aerodynamic force than level flight. Transitional behaviors, therefore, allow flight-incapable juveniles to seamlessly transition to flight-capable adults, supplementing their underdeveloped wings and flight muscles with their legs until their flight apparatus can fully support body weight, end quote. And this also allows, quote, juveniles to progress from one leg-based to two leg-plus wing-based to three wing-based locomotor behaviors as they acquire the anatomical specializations of adults. Wing-led cooperation may have played a similar role during the evolution of flight, end quote. So it's super cool. I love the study because it basically shows that maybe these small dinosaurs like Microraptor or others that had wings weren't actually just gliding and climbing trees and gliding. Maybe they were actually starting to flap a little bit and through the fact that they were using the flapping motion to escape predators or run more quickly, maybe even to run after prey, like with Dakota Raptor or something, that that would give them the evolutionary push to develop a full flapping flight mechanism. Because otherwise, 
there's a huge question of why do you go from gliding to flapping? What's the evolutionary pressure to get this keel on your breastbone and all these other features that help you fly if all you're doing is gliding? It doesn't seem to be too logical. And the authors have a lot to say about how there hasn't really been any good studies showing that gliding is really any easier than flapping anyway, or why that would be advantageous, or that the dinosaurs were even doing it, and that four wings might not even help with gliding. And there's a ton of information. It's a really great study. And in the past, we've seen studies where they look at embryonic specimens to look for differences between birds and theropods using a developing juvenile. So I think this is really clever to take it one step further and actually look at the bird after it hatches to kind of guess at maybe that's acting like a dinosaur in that it has feathers and can't quite fly yet, just like a baby bird. Super cool. They have a nice 36 pages of supplemental data along with several great videos, <laughs> which obviously I read and looked at all of. Yeah, Garrett spent, what'd you say, three hours on this I spent a lot article. of time. It's really awesome. I really like the idea that dinosaurs were literally flapping just like birds and then imagining that trajectory into real full-fledged birds rather than this hodgepodge of gliding and other stuff that doesn't sound nearly as cool. <laughs> and it doesn't give you a good picture of why birds would even evolve if it was just a bunch of gliding dinosaurs. So really cool. Another cool thing that came out this past week or so, Oxford University Press created this cool infographic of a timeline of dinosaurs, and we'll post a link, but it gives some quick facts about each period and about dinosaurs and other animals from each time, such as Diplodocus and T-Rex. It's pretty basic, but a good introduction to dinosaurs, although Garrett did point out that it does say Apatosaurus, aka Brontosaurus, so. Yeah, that's pretty weak. There's a couple other scientifically inaccurate things in there. But overall, it's pretty cool. It's a nice picture. Yeah, it is. And it hits a lot of the highlights. Definitely. In Canada, the dinosaur that used to stand in front of the Parsboro Rock and Mineral Shop moved to in front of the Fundy Geological Museum as part of this project called the Rock Shop Project, which pays tribute to a man named Eldon George. And he opened up the Parsboro Rock Shop when he was 17 years old. He collected a lot of fossils and he displayed fossilized tracks of a juvenile Coelophysis. For 70 years, his shop was a well-known tourist site and was even featured in National Geographic and Time. The Cumberland Geological Society bought the shop and they're going to put the fossils in the Fundy Geological Museum. Cool. Yeah. We hmm? got to get to that Fundy Museum. It sounds like a cool one. Yeah. Oh, there's so many museums to go to. I know. I don't know how we're going to get to all of them. One step at a time. <laughs> One museum at a time. Yeah. <laughs> or cram a bunch in a week here and there. Yeah. Next, this is kind of funny. Inverse posted this article, and it's called Stop Saying That Dinosaurs Went Extinct. They Didn't, and You Sound Ignorant. And it goes on to talk about how birds are dinosaurs, and there's at least 10,000 species of birds alive now. And it also explains that dinosaurs are part of the clad dinosauria, and that birds did not come from pterodactyls, and that crocodiles are more closely related to birds than lizards, and reptiles are amorphous. It ends with a pretty solid line, quote, Say it with me, all birds are dinosaurs, but not all dinosaurs are birds. All dinosaurs are reptiles, but not all reptiles are dinosaurs, end quote. That is very true, but... Don't be too pedantic about it because then people don't like scientists. <laughs> True. <laughs> that would be my caution to articles like this. That's just kind of funny. It is. It is funny. Next, thanks to Deborah via Facebook and Dave via email for this one. David Silva 
not Dave, different David, has a Kickstarter project to raise money and create Beasts of the Mesozoic, quote, a line of one-sixth scale scientifically accurate dinosaur action figures with great detail and articulation, end quote. According to Dave, via email, David has already done dinosaur sculptures, but these are his first posable and accurate dinosaur toys. He's looking to raise $125,000 by May 27th, and as of this recording, he has almost 1,100 backers and more than $98,000. Pretty impressive. Yeah, he's really close, especially considering there's still 21 days to go. Yeah, as of, as of this our record, recording. Our recording, yeah. So you can do the math and figure out when we're recording if you want. <laughs> Ooh, when do we do this? Yeah. Anyway, David has been working in the toy industry since 2003, and he's made dinosaur model kits before. The first series of Beasts of the Mesozoic will be a series of raptors and related species, and it'll include Velociraptor, Atrociraptor, and Sagan. I'm not sure if I pronounced all those correctly. Anyway, the pictures look amazing. They're very realistic dinosaur toys. Yeah, he has a really good video. If you've ever seen a Kickstarter video before, it goes through the description of why you're doing it and everything. And he talks about how the action figure market has advanced a lot lately and they're getting more realistic toys with more features and stuff, except for dinosaur toys. <laughs> and so he wants to make some really cool ones. I've never seen a, a really articulated dinosaur toy, maybe other than like a T-Rex that can open and close its mouth, but they're not moving their wings and legs and stuff. So yeah, they look really cool. It's I think he has it about $35 for one or you can pay a hundred dollars and get a three pack we might have to get one not, probably not a three pack we'll start with one see how it goes yeah looks cool though speaking of toys i got my oculus rift consumer version a couple weeks ago and we've been playing with it a lot it's a lot of fun for all sorts of things you can watch 3d videos in it and you can go into immersive cgi worlds or you can play games there's one game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes that we've been playing a lot because it's sort of multiplayer. It's pretty fun. But dinosaur-wise, there are three things that I've done so far. So the first one is a T-Rex that stomps around and it kind of comes up to you and then roars in your face and then it walks over the top of you and away. And it really gives you an incredible sense that you might get eaten and I think everyone who's tried it in my house, including me, has ducked when it's roaring in your face because it's pretty intimidating. And it gives you that crazy sense of scale when you're watching it because the fact that you fit in between its legs and it can just walk right over you without a problem is pretty nuts. And then the other interaction that there is is in the quote-unquote introduction to virtual reality. And it has a sauropod that's kind of grazing a little bit or something and then it leans way over with its huge neck craning and it smells you a little bit and then it cranes away again. That one's pretty fun. The other one I've done, I mentioned the David Attenborough Titanosaur video that he made with the nature documentary about that titanosaur that got set up in the American Museum of Natural History. And there's a little VR thing where the titanosaur walks along next to you. That one's pretty cool. It's the only one that has narration out of those three, so it's kind of neat that they highlight parts of the dinosaur and give you some real information about it. But since it's not CGI and it's a streamed video instead of something that you download that takes up a few gigabytes, it doesn't look nearly as clean, so it's not quite as fun to watch, but still pretty cool. Still dinosaurs. Yeah. In virtual reality. Yep. 
there are two more big ones on Steam. There's part one and two of Back to Dinosaur Island, but I haven't gotten them to work on my computer yet because Oculus and Steam don't get along great. But I think they're a little bit more intense because they're made by Crytek, which is kind of a action game company. So definitely fun to try. Mm-hmm. And speaking of dinosaur media type things. EW wrote a brief history of the TV show Dinosaurs in honor of its 25th anniversary on April 26th, which I I know it was an early 90s show, but hard to believe it's been 25 years already. Yeah. It was a live action puppet show that Brian Henson pitched to ABC, and Michael Jacobs, the co-creator and executive producer, came up with the idea that the dinosaurs get married, have children, live domestic lives, and that that causes their extinction. In design tests, they came up with the baby as a breakout character, and they thought it'd be funny if the baby doesn't see the father as part of the family, hence the quote, not the mama. (laughs) And Jacob said in the interview, quote, We wanted dinosaurs to be a little more biting in its satire. We went after the oil companies. We went after corporate America. I don't think the network knew it's what we were doing in the beginning. I think you're allowed to do anything on television as long as they don't understand what you're doing until it airs. (laughs) The show got mixed reviews, and it ran for four seasons. And the ABC network president called the show when he read the pitch for the series finale, when the dinosaurs go extinct, spoiler alert, and said, quote, over my dead body, are you killing that baby dinosaur? And Michael said, Ted, they went extinct. I didn't do it. If you're going to cancel the show, I'm going to cancel the dinosaurs. He laughed and we put together certainly one of the more memorable finales on television, end quote. I like the spoiler alert for the KT extinction event. Well, just in case there's anybody out there who hasn't seen that show or heard about it in the last 25 years, <laughs> want to make sure you're covered. Or knows that dinosaurs went extinct. Oh, I was talking about specifically in the show how it yeah, ended. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. And actually, Inverse would disagree with you and they'd say dinosaurs did not go extinct. Oh, uh, yeah. See, the, yeah, the whole problem with that is people say dinosaurs as a shorthand for non-avian dinosaurs, and mm-hmm. they did go extinct. Yes. But anyway. But anyway, moving on. Tested wrote about the history of dinosaurs in film and how stop motion was the main technique for 70 years. So this was kind of cool going through different films and how the creatures were made. So they start off with Sir Richard Owen, and he oversaw the creation of 33 life-size dinosaur sculptures for Crystal Palace in the 1850s. And then after that, dinosaurs became popular in film. And Willis O'Brien made stop-motion dinosaurs in the 1925 film The Lost World. And then Ray Harryhausen also used stop-motion to create a fictional dinosaur in a 1953 movie called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And a 1966 movie called One Million Years B.C., which was in Technicolor. I believe that one got remade in the last 10 years, too. But anyway, he also used it in a 1969 film, The Valley of Guangai. After stop motion, next came lizards in dinosaur suits. These were known as slurbosaurs. <laughs> that's funny. I would argue they're not quite as good as the stop motion. I think that's what they were implying in this article, too. But you can see one in the mysterious island. There is a plastic horn on a baby alligator. There's also a slurposaur battle in the 1960 film The Lost World. But anyway, the main point of the article is that creature effects have all been used on dinosaurs. Mechanical dinosaurs were in Roger Dickens' The Land That Time Forgot. And puppeteers were in Doug Beswick's My Science Project. And then the next big effect came with Jurassic Park and the full-scale CG dinosaurs. And the latest is 
Walking with Dinosaurs 3D, which uses, quote, an automated muscle system called steroid to control the interaction between the dinosaur skin and the internal anatomy with a second system called reptile taking care of skin and scales, end quote. Awesome. It is. And speaking of walking with dinosaurs, not 3D, but the arena show anyway. The Sydney Morning Herald interviewed Sonny Tilders, who is the co-founder and co-owner of the Creature Technology Company in Melbourne, Australia. And that company's created puppets and animations and special effects for Walking with Dinosaurs, How to Train a Dragon, King Kong, and Jurassic World. Apparently, the rights to the dinosaurs in Walking with Dinosaurs, the arena spectacular, which was traveling around for a couple years but has since stopped and we mentioned, I believe it was an interview with Brad Jost of the Jurassic Park podcast. We were wondering, like, what happened to those dinosaurs? Well, apparently, the rights are now owned by a Chinese meatpacking company. Huh. So, walking... Are they going to turn the dinosaurs into meat? I don't think they can. They're puppets. <laughs> so, Walking with Dinosaurs was developed by the Creature Technology Company for DreamWorks Animation. And I'm not sure how it ended up as part of a meatpacking company, but... Now we know. So according to this article, Sonny was trained as a puppet maker, and before walking with dinosaurs, he worked on Star Wars in Sydney. In 2013, Sonny also made a 19.6-foot or 6-meter animatronic puppet of King Kong for a musical version of King Kong that premiered at Melbourne's Regent Theater. And it cost $30 million to stage, and it got mixed reviews, and now Sonny's pitching to investors in New York and Germany. It'd be interesting if a giant King Kong ends up on stage on Broadway. Yeah. On a less happy note, Dinosaur Planet, which is a new theme park in Bangkok, Thailand, and it opened March 25th. We talked about it a couple months ago. They had a snafu a couple weeks ago when the Dino Eye Ferris wheel caught fire. Luckily, no one was on the ride at the time, so no one was injured. And I think the cause was probably an electrical short circuit. Yeah, it was kind of interesting looking in the picture because there's just one individual car that's engulfed in flames and then the rest of the thing is fine. Ugh, that'd be a little creepy looking. Yeah, hopefully you're not in that car when something like that happens. Yeah, but on a brighter note, on May 28th, the creators of T-Rex Tuesdays are throwing a prehistoric party. We talked about the T-Rex Tuesday creators. It's two people in Minnesota who just kind of started doing this thing for fun, and then their Facebook page got really popular. So for this party, people can pay either $12 to be an observer, and the name of the co-hosts of the party are Tyra and Rex. <laughs> you can also pay $20 to participate in the party, which means basically hanging out and being part of videos dressed in a dinosaur costume. Or you can pay $128 to have a dinosaur costume waiting for you, and then you can participate. So you're encouraged to wear dinosaur costumes for the video shoots, and also to be a part of the Guinness World Record attempt for, quote, most people in dinosaur costumes. But the caveat is that the costumes must be of dinosaurs that actually existed. So they specify no Indominus Rex, Godzilla, or Barney. The party will be at a local football field in Minnesota, but only ticket buyers will know the exact location. They said something about we're opening it up to the internet, so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So before we do our dinosaur of the day, we have one more word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. 
Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now on to our dinosaur of the day, Marshasaurus. And that name, as you can probably guess, means Marsh's Lizard. More than 14,000 bones were found in the Cleveland Lloyd Quarry in Utah in the 1960s, and most of them were from Allosaurus, but there were also two new theropods discovered, and James Madsen named them both, Stokesosaurus and Marshosaurus. Madsen named the species Marshosaurus bicentissimus in 1976 to honor both Charles Marsh and the Bicentennial of the U.S. That's hilarious. Yeah. The holotype consists of an upper pelvis bone and pieces of upper jaw. At least three individuals were found, and the bones included the pubic bone and jaw fragments. Madsen didn't think there were enough bones to prepare and study, but the bones found were different from other dinosaurs found in the Cleveland Lloyd Quarry, including a small allosaurus. Bits of Marshosaurus were found in other dinosaur bone beds, which included more skull material and a partial vertebral column. In the 1990s, more fossils were referred to as Marshosaurus. In 1991, Brooks Britt referred tail vertebrae, They looked like non-identified tail vertebrae from Cleveland Lloyd Quarry. In 1993, a partial skeleton was referred, spines that resembled non-identified spines from the Cleveland Lloyd Quarry, and the partial skeleton was described in more detail in 1997. At first, Madsen didn't know where to place Marshosaurus phylogenetically, and he put it as Theropoda incerte sedis, and in episode 54 we explained that that means it's unclear where in the group it falls. Later analysis found Marshosaurus to be part of Avetheropod, which is a group of bird-like theropods that includes Tyrannosaurus, Velociraptor, and Allosaurus. But in 2009, Roger Benson said it was a Megalosaurid based on newly referred Megalosaurus specimens. Roger Benson in 2010 included Marshosaurus in Megalosauroidea as a basal member. The group includes predators such as sail-backed Spinosaurus and other dinosaurs like Torvosaurus and Megalosaurus. But very little is known still about Marshosaurus, such as how did it live so close to larger predators like Allosaurus and Torvosaurus. 
It was a medium-sized carnivorous theropod that lived in the late Jurassic. Gregory Paul estimated Marchosaurus to be about 14.8 feet or 4.5 meters and weighing 440 pounds or 200 kilograms, and the skull is about 24 inches or 60 centimeters long. Other theropods found included Ceratosaurus, Ornitholestes, Torvosaurus, and other dinosaurs included Stegosaurus, Brachiosaurus, Camarasaurus, Camptosaurus. Herbivores may have gotten stuck in the mud when trying to cross, and it became a death trap for the carnivores who might have smelled the dead dinosaurs, and then they became trapped too. At oh, least, no. That's one of the theories. We've talked about the Cleveland Loicoria a few times. There's four main theories. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy density of different dinosaurs. Yeah, and a large number of allosaurs. Yeah. Marchosaurus was probably very strong, and it had short, thick arms that it probably used to hold on to prey. One right ilium, which is the uppermost and largest bone in the pelvis, has an undescribed pathology, probably from an injury. Charles Marsh also has another dinosaur named after him, Othniolosaurus, which was named in 2007. So... Othniosaurus and Marchosaurus, and interestingly, Othniosaurus was a small herbivore ornithopod that lived around the same time and place as Marchosaurus, so it might have been prey to Marchosaurus sometimes. Oh no. Mm-hmm. That's like some weird version of cannibalism. Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> still two different Phylo- kinds of dinosaurs. Phylogenetic cannibalism. I think that's a stretch. <laughs> In 2012, Carano et al. named the family Pietnitzkosauridae, which includes Megalosauroid titanurans, and that, of course, means Marchosaurus. So this family includes Pietnitzkosaurus, Condoraptor, and Marchosaurus again, and it's a sister taxa to Megalosauria. And these dinosaurs lived in the Jurassic in Argentina and the U.S. And our fun fact of the day comes from something Sabrina mentioned earlier when she said, there's over 10,000 bird species alive today. Turns out that the IOC World Bird List recognizes 10,637 extant bird species among 2,289 genera. And that's actually pretty similar to the estimated number of non-avian dinosaur genera. We mentioned in an earlier episode that that's estimated at 1,800, including those still undiscovered. But all 2,200 plus of the bird genera are alive right now, whereas the dinosaur genera were spread out over more than 150 million years. And we discussed with Sakamoto last week, many of them only lasted for a few million years. So possibly there are more bird genera around right now than there were dinosaur genera over the entire course of dinosaur history, which seems crazy. I wonder if there were actually more dinosaur genera, or maybe there's some issue with comparing the number of fossilized genera versus extant genera, like maybe we're more specific with living animals or something, because that just seems too crazy. But anyway, it gives you some idea of just how many niches birds fill right now compared with maybe dinosaurs back then, like how Sakamoto was saying that if you have one sauropod, you might not need another one because it pretty much (laughs) covers that whole grazing giant dinosaur group. But in any event, lots of different kinds of birds. I'm probably going to get into birding one of these days. You've been saying that for a while now. Yeah, I'm getting closer and closer. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy our podcast and hearing more about dinosaurs, then please support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Until next time. Good day.